One wonders if War and Peace would have been as highly acclaimed as it was had it been published under its original title, War, What Is It Good For? <laughs> yeah, Mr. Lippman. It was his mistress who insisted that he call Elaine. it War and Peace. Elaine. War, What Is It Good For? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Say it again. <laughs> That's a song. They, they took it from Tolstoy. No. Three Films and a Podcast has no claim of ownership on any film footage used in this episode. All film footage is owned in its entirety by the copyright holders and is used solely with the intent of film criticism, commentary, and education under fair use law. And just like every car in Too Fast, Too Furious, this podcast contains spoilers. Enjoy! Welcome back to another episode of Three Films and a Podcast, the show where three friends try to broaden each other's uh, cinematic horizons through some themed rounds where we each pick a theme, I guess, for the round. And we each pick a movie that falls into that theme and just try to watch new stuff. And and then we get here and we talk about it. So um, my name is Ben Lawhorn. I'm here in Salt Lake City. As always, I'm joined by Matt Weiler down in Pleasant Grove. Howdy. And... Tyler Beck up in Portland, Oregon. Hello, everybody. Um, yeah. So if you are new to the show, like welcome, kind of explain what it's all about. Um, we are trying to treat this podcast basically as a movie club where we all talk about movies together and we try to like just discover new things and just not binge the office, you know, for the ninth <laughs> time, you know, we're just trying to, to explore some new stuff. So it's an um, issue. we started this in early was it 2020 that's when we started this right mm-hmm. just doing our movie club ourselves yeah and our group text just got out of hand and we're like you know what let's just talk about this to each other <laughs> and let's make it a podcast so yeah. that's mm-hmm. what you are listening to now just this weird thing that evolved so thank you for being here thank you for joining us you can find all of our stuff on our website www.3filmspod.com all of our social links are there we have some patreon stuff we have a shop whatever you want everything is there um and speaking of patreons and we are joined today by one of our longtime friends of the pod here and i think is this the third appearance are you this is my third appearance the third appearance yes we are joined today by joshua johnston here in salt lake what to do mama <laughs> <laughs> I had the thought I earlier. Love it. It's like, you know what I'm going to do? As I'm going to be like, and joining us from the slums of Shaolin, the Rizza, the Dizza. <laughs> it's like, I don't know how that would tie in at all, but maybe I'll do it next time you come on. Josh uh, has my new favorite hello. Matt usually has the crown, but Josh won this week. All right. Best yeah. hello. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I still um, like Jiz, yeah. Josh, or Ben, or Matt. I mean, not, no, I, mean, I hated really Ben's. Good. <laughs> get out of here with the routine. um yeah josh thank you so much for being here joining us again like we talked about this was the third time he's on so if you want to hear his clubhouse questions like we do with all of our guests you can find the video on youtube or you can go back and listen to the gangster movie draft which i would highly recommend anyway because he answered all those questions there so th- that was our first movie draft too that was a lot yeah. of fun mm-hmm. i like that one it was a good yeah. time Josh has been um, here for some so milestones. Yeah. yeah, right. We're just popping all of our cherries with Josh. This is great. <laughs> um, so we are in the midst of our Kubrick round right now. Last week we talked about The Shining, which was, I mean, it was a great conversation, an excellent movie. I don't know how you haven't heard of that, you know, if, if you haven't somehow. Um, but this week we're on to my pick, 
And I went with the movie Paths of Glory, um, which you may not have heard of, which is totally understandable. Uh, it is a movie that I fell across, like I came across when I was trying to do that 500 movies in a year challenge. And one of them, I don't know if it was a Kubrick. I don't know what the qualifier was, but I ended up watching Paths of Glory and it just really stuck with me. We've adopted this thing here of like our Rushmore Mountain where we pick our top four of something, you know, which we'll get into later. And honestly, out of like the whatever 300, 400 movies I watched that year, this one would have made my rush more like this really had an impact on me. Um, and there's something about the Douglas actors cause the game would be on there too. You yeah. know, like that's a, that's a great movie. So, um, anyways, that's, that's what the, that's what we're at, I guess, is we're at paths of glory. We're in a uh, movie number two of our Kubrick round. Josh, do you want to give us a brief synopsis of the movie and kind of your history with the movie? Yes. So this is the, I'm just going to read IMDb, actually. Nope. Um, Get out of here. (laughs) Get out of here with that IMDb (laughs) garbage. Written by Hugo with two Gs. 1916, the trench warfare between French and Germans on the battlefield of France results in little advancements of troops on either side, each advancements in tens of meters rather than kilometers but in many casualties. Thus, the request by French General George Broliard and his subordinate General Paul Murau to lead... God, too many French words, man. (laughs) (laughs) Old Scarface. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, it's a shit show. They're stuck in the hole. (laughs) And... um, the the generals they're they're getting ready to do some shifty stuff just to get accolades of the country, and because it's such a shit show, they want uh, some of the you know the people that are actually out in the field to kind of take the heat on why it's such a shit show. Yeah. Um. So I mean the big court case ensues, um, and uh, we see some great acting by um kirk douglas and he's he's taken us through this 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 really ugly situation um he kind of feels like the one person with a conscience mm -hmm. in a movie in this movie it seems like the one person in power with conscience yes yeah that's yeah that's totally fair yeah we're gonna sacrifice bodies to boost morale it's like well that's weird but (laughs) i don't know yeah and just just really like trying to like you know, they're just trying to find a scapegoat for, for what's going on out there. And all these, all these poor infantry, like they're, it's a bad situation. Yeah. And you had seen this before though, right? Cause like, I know you responded when we were putting it out there for people to be guests on, and you wanted to come on this. So you had seen paths of glory before this. Is that right? I, I have seen the entire library of Kubrick. I was such a big fan. This was one of the movies that I was probably less familiar with. Mm. Um, like I, I hadn't rewatched it several times until we kind of started talking about it. I was like, God, this is a really great movie. Like, yeah. Um, and you can kind of see like where Kubrick's really like coming into like, you can see his stamp all over this Mm -hmm. because, because of the way that, uh, a lot of the photography is laid out and stuff. I mean, because he, you know, his, the first part of his young life, he, he was, he was a photographer and that was his main, main gig Mm -hmm. at look magazine. If I remember correctly. Yeah. I mean, you can see that all over that, the, the, 
kind of the cynicism that that goes in in a lot of Kubrick movies is is definitely present in this. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That questionable eye, as far as mm-hmm. like the story is concerned, um, never a straightforward story with Mr. Kubrick. So, <laughs> yeah, very true. And this felt like a good like we go from the killing, which we've talked about before, mm-hmm. which is like. I guess lower level, smaller, you know, scenes kind of like not as epic. And then we go to this, which definitely has like the whole, like them going through all the trenches and things like that. And then his next movie is Spartacus, which he jumps up to. And that just goes to, does that still hold the record for like the most extras ever in a scene? I think. I think I, I read I would, that somewhere as well. too. Yeah, Cause no I mean, idea. now we just do it all digitally yeah. and we replace people. But I think that I think at one point anyways, it held the record for the most extras and, Matt, I think you're the only one out of the three of us, you know, Josh excluded, that has seen Spartacus. I'm curious, had you seen Paths of Glory before? What did you think about it? Like, what, what were your thoughts on this movie? Uh, I hadn't seen it before, so this is this is my first path uh, to glory. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 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 um, no, it was, I mean, echoing Josh, it was great to see some of these uh, Kubrickisms Um early on in his career, see some of these things that we've, we've now seen in some of his later work. Um, albeit underdeveloped. It's cool to see just this take. It's fun to have seen, you know, war movies, you know, at different points throughout my life and then become somewhat familiar with a, a prolific filmmaker and then go back and see what they did, um, yeah. on an early war picture. And so that was, that was definitely re- rewarding. Um, and, I just anytime you have a movie about France and have French people in it with no actual French actors, <laughs> yeah, I'm on yeah. board. A little tough. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I love it. That dude from The Killing who like you know rolls down the windshield and like shoots the horse, whatever. Like he's in this movie too. I was like, man, this is the <laughs> most like non-French person that's ever <laughs> existed. This like whatever New oh, York whatever he's, accent. He's a uh, is he one of the soldiers that. Yeah, he's one of the ones that's on trial that's like crying the whole time. Okay. The, the priest. Oh, yeah. So I looked him up. I I, I read a uh, Wikipedia thing about him. Apparently, he faked his own kidnapping. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's amazing. How do that's you, so how do you even pull that off? The movie, Kubrick was such a, a strict uh, guy running the set that he just wouldn't let people leave and people had to like fake shit all the time to like get out of filming stuff. I thought, yeah, that was one of the most like coolest trivia things I saw on there, and that's why like they couldn't get close ups of everyone on the war, like on the battlefield. And then when he's confessing to the priest, it's a stand in, like just in the shadows, because he was gone. Was like, <laughs> man, it's bad if you're like faking your own kidnapping, get I out did, of there. But. I just want to know how many how many adult men during that time were being kidnapped. Like, how was that even a believable <laughs> no, no idea? <laughs> like, oh, crap. What are we going to do? I'll never be able here. to prove it. Yeah, I'll never know. This big, like, 6'5 guy just gets kidnapped. Uh, Tyler, what did you think of the movie? Was this your first time seeing it, too? Yeah, it's my first time seeing it. I hadn't heard anything about it until, you know, it started to come up for the podcast. Um, and, you know, I think my experience was... Uh, the same as everyone on this podcast. Um, I really liked it. You know, I, I thought Kirk Douglas was fantastic. Uh, and he was easily my favorite part of the movie. Um, which, 
is sort of strange considering how much I enjoy Kubrick's work and how much, uh, you know, despite being early in his career, you can really see his thumbprint on it. Like Josh was saying, um, I really loved, you know, the way he used the camera and we'll talk about all that stuff later. Um, but despite, uh, you said, uh, Tim Carey is the name of that actor that faked his own, uh, despite him being, you said he might be the least French person. I think, uh, Kirk Douglas might be the least French person. <laughs> like, yeah, he's like, I think you're onto something. They don't even try to like French it up at all. <laughs> you know, yeah. just like, like, can you at least talk with a European accent and English accent? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. it's like, ah, eh, they're French. It's fine. They'll believe it. Yeah. It's no big deal. Senator Crochet, why are your men still in here? It's impossible, sir. Major Vignon is dead. Get these men out of the trenches. Come on. Let's get ready for another try. Get these men out of here. I tried three times with all the casual. All right, let's give it another try. Come on, let's give it another try. It's Kirk um, Douglas. He's French, Believe right? It. <laughs> so great actor. D- despite all of that, I, I mean, I, and I understand like the logistical challenge of the time, you know, of, of making a movie where people actually sound French and selling it to Americans in the fifties, you know, like, yeah, I understand why that's a, a tough sell, but it, it is still silly to watch. But, um, despite all that, you know, he was my favorite part of the movie. Um, and you know, I loved the Kubrick of it all, but, um, and I also loved how succinct it all was, you know, cause we really deal with some pretty heavy, uh, frankly, pretty disheartening stuff here, yeah. you know, with class divides and power dynamics and, um, the, the indifference in which these men are tossed to their, you know, thrown to their deaths. Mm-hmm. Um, and despite all that, you know, we're in and out in 90 minutes and I don't feel like anything was left on the table. I feel like we got everything we needed. I feel like it was thought provoking. I feel like it's going to lead to a great conversation here on the podcast. And despite all that, you know, it was, it was tight. It was in and out. And so I, I really appreciated all of the decisions that the filmmaker here made. Uh, and and, by, and when I say the filmmaker, I mean like everyone, because obviously Kubrick, yeah. Kubrick directed it. But, you know, there's there's editing and there's different writing and there's there's decisions in the storytelling that need to be made that I'm sure Kubrick didn't dictate all of. You know what I mean? So yeah, for sure. just as far as like a, a package of uh a collective work of filmmakers. I, I just appreciated the fact that we're in and out. I, I feel like if this was, if this same movie was remade today, it would be at least two hours. Like at, at least, yeah. like I just watched, um, I just watched Jarhead. Um, Alex and I watched mm. it, uh, not actually last week. So pretty recently. And you know, it's a long movie and it drags a lot and it deals with some really heavy weighty stuff around war and the dynamic of war and what it does to people and power dynamics and stuff. It's, it's not a similar movie, but it's not totally dissimilar. Um, yeah. And would I, it have been better with Maggie Gyllenhaal? In I it? actually, <laughs> I don't. I've better, more interesting, maybe. Thank but you. Better? I'm not sure. I Thank actually you, thought bud. about that. There's there's a lot of scenes in there that I'm like, Maggie being in this scene changes things <laughs> quite a bit. But <laughs> yeah. I, also, I pose an interesting question: Have any of you guys seen? a Maggie Gyllenhaal movie called secretary mm-hmm. with, I've not watched that no. with James Spader. No. Okay. So pretend Jake Gyllenhaal is her character in that. 
Watch the movie and then we'll talk about it. <laughs> well, I don't think it goes backwards. I think it only goes Maggie replacing Jake, right, Matt? Is that the theory? That I mean, I think both are interesting. But yeah, I, I, I believe that there's... And this is not throwing shade at Jake Gyllenhaal. I'm just saying that every single role that he's in might be better with Maggie. I would I actually, I actually, you know... I would actually like to see her do Jarhead. <laughs> There's some yeah. scenes in there that if she could pull it off when that, you know, she probably, oh, yeah. Um, but you know, all that to say, like, I really enjoyed it. I don't, I wrote my letterbox review. I'm not sure how many more times I'll watch it, but I, now that I think yeah. about it, I don't know how that, how true that is. I could see myself watching this again. Um, but, um, has a glory or Jarhead has a glory. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's a lean watch. Like you said, it's only 90 minutes. Yeah. And it, it's, there's no real fat to this movie. Like it's all like, there's not like extra shit that it's very that lean. You really need you know? to throw away, but it's yeah. like, it's a, it's a good, it's a good lean. There's a lot of meat on the, oh, bone, yeah. but it's just like, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, totally. But yeah, I, oh, go ahead, Ben. No, no, please. I don't know where I was going to go. So Perfect. save me from um, myself. Well, I, mean, I was just going to say, like, I'm with you 100 percent. And that's why, like, I cheated this round and picked something that I had already seen because mm. I wanted us all to watch it. And I want an excuse to watch it again, because, like, again, I did watch it, like, whatever that was, four or five years ago, something like that. And I loved it. And I have not watched it since. But, like, I've wanted to. But it's just like I just haven't had the desire. Like, yeah, let me sit down and put on Paths of Glory. Yeah. But this, you know, like for so many things for this podcast it then becomes like a reason to like take the time and sit down and watch something. So that's why, yeah, you know, showing my cards, I just completely went against the grain on what we're supposed to be doing here. And I was like, no, I want to watch it again. So we're going to watch it again, but it was fun. Like I forgot how it ended. You know what I mean? Like I was like, man, are they going to be saved or like what's going to happen? And so it was still a great payoff. It just like, it reminded me why I enjoyed it so much the first time. Yeah. And speaking of like, I'm, I guess I just want to get into like the war movie genre, you know, like it is so beloved in the industry. It seems like if there's ever a war movie that's up for best picture, it's going to take it, you know, or like best actor, anything like that. Like if you get the saving private Ryan's or, you know, 1917, a couple of years ago, you know, a lot of that was a cinematography too, which is really cool. A lot of similarities between these two. I don't know if any of you guys have seen 1917, but all the like walking through the trenches. I'm like, there's no way that those guys did not watch Paths of Glory because this is like the exact <laughs> oh, same yeah, shot, dude. which is really cool. You know, it's great to like pay tribute to it. But um, yeah, I guess I just wanted to like talk about that. Like how like what are your thoughts on why we love war movies? We, you know, being like the Academy and the country and stuff. And how how did you guys feel? about how it got portrayed in this movie. Um, Josh, I'll throw it to you. What are your thoughts on that? So, I mean, I really like some of my most favorite movies are war movies. Um, And I feel like the, what makes the movies so great for me is that they have these, these heavy questions, you know, like they, they kind of prove the ugliness of war. Yeah. Um, they have these deeper questions that it's just not straightforward. We're doing this for democracy. We're doing this for all any of these patriotic things. It has a lot to do with um, some of those same things that they have in paths of glory. And then you get, you know, really twisted, like apocalypse now where it kind of gets psychedelic at times. Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, And then you can go really go really 
have have some fun with it a little bit like jojo rabbit and inglorious bastards um um but i think to have to have a really good war movie you gotta have those important questions what what is war good for you know you gotta ask nothing (laughs) well it's good for good movies (laughs) it's true (laughs) that's what tower of power said (laughs) yeah thoughts tyler i I was going to say essentially the same thing. I I just think despite uh, the fact that the vast majority of people will never know what it's like to be in an actual war in the sense of like in the trenches shooting against the enemy, uh, we, we can all sort of, we can all sort of relate to the themes and it's easy to pack different themes into a war movie. Like, you know, speaking about Jarhead, that's about, essentially it's about the lack of conflict and it's about uh the 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 machismo of of the military and and like the the lack of humanity that way or you know there's movies um where it's it's about about the brotherhood of war and and the the uh the extent of humanity or the the, the true beauty of it you know the way you can connect to people um and i think like you know, not to sound like too, uh, you know, I like to say words I don't know the meaning of, but not to sound like too esoteric. I don't know if that's the right word or like too lofty or hyper hyperbolic, but like, you know, life is life can feel a lot like a war at times, you know, just mm-hmm. getting out of bed and dealing with the shit you have to do. So I feel like we just we just naturally gravitate towards stories of conflict because it reflects our own lives. And frankly, like everything we have as people, no matter what country you're in, let's just say Americans, because we all, the four of us happen to be Americans. Like there's, there's a history of war throughout our history, both the history that we've experienced and the history that we've been taught. Josh, your, your wife is from Mexico. Like, Oh yeah. She's seen people gunned down in the street. Right. Like she's seen true conflict. And like, there's a show, you know, that show is Silicon Valley. There's a quote that just popped into my head and said, uh, from Guilfoy says the history of humanity is a book written in blood. We're all just animals in a pit. (laughs) And like, you know, that's a very, uh, cynical way to view life, but it really is true, man. Like when, when it comes down to it, we're all just animals, like trying to fight for a better life for ourselves. So I think we can, it's easy to see yourself in these situations and in these stories. And I do think there is a little bit of like, um, like hero fantasy in it, you know, like, yeah, you all want to think like, what would I do in this situation and how would I react and what would this actually be like? And it's something that the actual warfare is something that most people luckily don't have to experience. And so it's just, it's just interesting to see. And it's something that's, it's relatable because, you know, life is in and of itself a war against Mm -hmm. itself. Like it's you against the world essentially, but also it's like, you know, there's just that curiosity, that morbid curiosity of the conflict and what it all, what it all means. So I just think it's an easy genre to shoehorn a, a lot of different weight into and a lot of different themes and a lot of different talking points um and yeah yeah i mean that's that's a great point and i you know we talked about the academy loving war movies but i almost wonder since this one wasn't on u.s soil or really with any americans like it didn't get nominated for anything at all 
which is like, crazy it's so weird to me that it didn't get even nominated for anything like, what? like this was great you know what one what okay so well, um, while you're talking i can look gg one best picture um I, I forget what yeah you can look it up and see but anyways i was just like surprised this didn't get any recognition at all like it's yeah obviously i thought it was a great movie um matt what are your what are your thoughts on the war genre and why we love it so much so it it is interesting i feel like i mean war is like it's that universal ugly thing that pretty much everybody can agree everyone in the world can agree that it's not you know a good situation mm-hmm. um and so there is like some type of intrigue to it i will say I feel like it was uh, just in, in the American life. It was just like for, for us, we've been lucky enough to not have like our lives dominated by war. But like my dad had a draft number. His mm-hmm. dad served in World War Two. You know, my great grandpa was served in World War Two. So like we're just a, a couple generations detached from war dominating, you know, yeah. everything about life um, and society. And I think they really love war movies. Like my dad loves war movies. And uh, I swear every time I go to his house, there's like some obscure war movie that he has from the library. And he's just constantly like, he just has this library of war movies in his head. And (laughs) I think it's because it's, it's sensationalized in a way. Um, I think there's some folk story, like heroics that they really connect to Mm -hmm. because of their upbringing. And part of that, you know, seeps into the Academy, you know, like a lot of these Academy members grew up during that time, um, had it close to them. And then, you know, they're still there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Right. Yeah. And and then, and then, uh, the, the industry grew around it, you know, like you have these war movies that came out shortly around the war time that are inspiring other things like star Wars. You know, my, one of my favorites is, you know, George Lucas took clips from war movies and, basically just made a sci-fi version of it. So Mm -hmm. um, it touches everything. I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of war movies as a genre. Um, I certainly like them when I watch them and I enjoy them. Like the really good ones, I enjoy just as much as anybody else, but it's not like I never sit down to watch a war movie really. Yeah. Um, But I think they, like uh, Josh and Tyler already said, like they give you a view of humanity and a lot of difficult questions that as, as good of a guy as you think you are, these answers aren't easy. And right. uh, it, you can come to a conclusion that you have peace with, um, but it's usually it's usually choosing two really bad situations. And so um, that's just the nature of war. And I think um, at the end of the day, it just forces you to reflect and sometimes you walk out of a war movie and you're like, oh, I feel really good about where things are right now compared to that. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you feel like, oh, man, we're we're bad guys. <laughs> and then sometimes you just feel like, oh, we have a long way to go. And I think it's interesting that those movies bring that out. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting to see, see how they've like evolved over time, too, because especially in this movie, you know, it's like, oh, he has shell shock. And the guys like that's not a real thing. Like, get over it, whatever. But now we have movies that like are specifically about soldiers dealing with their PTSD. You know, we talk yeah. about we'll, we'll get into some of those movies. We talk about like Hurt Locker and things like that. It's just like, what do these guys go through? You know, a lot of that was like those Vietnam War movies. You know, if you get into Platoon or, you know, speaking of Kubrick, uh, Full Metal Jacket, things like that, like the way that they have to experience this 
I think for most of us, like for the four of us anyway, I think the one like the war, I guess that was maybe wrapping up or whatever was the the Gulf War. I remember people like coming home when I was a kid or whatever from that. Yeah. And then 9-11 happened, you know, like we had a I've I mean, I'm sure there were wars going on, but I think we had like a, a quite a while there without a war, so to speak, happening. And then after 9-11, it just feels like it, it hasn't stopped. You know, it's mm-hmm. been nonstop for 20 years now that we've been dealing with it. And I don't know when it will ever stop because, you know, we don't need to get into the politics of it, but it's a money making machine, unfortunately, for some mm-hmm. people. So it's yeah. like, yeah. I think it's interesting to see all the dynamics now and just how some of the behaviors of people in this movie, you know, like it's like, oh, yeah, we've got to kill these people. And the next scene is them like just dancing at a formal ball. It's like, yeah, these guys don't give a shit. <laughs> like they're fine. Like, they're <laughs> yeah, not that gonna was die. it's like the most shocking scene yeah, for me. Just that, that hard cut to them, like dancing and partying and stuff I'm like, oh, man, these people don't care. Didn't at mean all. anything to them. No. And it's just like, I mean, I, I get, it gave me the thought of. Um, I think it's from Fahrenheit 9-11 when Michael Moore sends like draft papers to like congressmen's like he, he you know, uh, approaches them mm. with it like, oh, do you want to sign up your kids for the war? And they're like, well, no, no, no I don't want to do that. It's like, yeah, because you don't want to sacrifice people that, you know, but if you don't know these people, you're more than willing to just like send them off into this meaningless war. So I don't know. That's a really big side tangent that we don't need to go down. But I just think it's interesting, like how much of a influence it has on our culture and our society. Um you know, and just like yeah, the other way we perceive things and are the, the way it turns into patriotism for better or worse. But uh, to go a little bit more lighthearted, I want to talk about <laughs> Kubrick now. It's like smooth transition into camera work here. But um, I think you guys are right. Like I, I had, I had put down in a note later on that this is the most non Kubrick film for me. Obviously I, I, still I agree. Seen, like I haven't seen Lolita. I haven't seen Spartacus. Like I haven't seen everything, but from the other movies, I feel like I can make ties to them. Whereas this one is just like, man, this one is really just like out of left field. I still love it. It's a great movie, obviously, but I'm like, man, I I wouldn't ever guess that this was a Kubrick movie, but I think the one place that we do see it, you guys mentioned is kind of in the camera work. Like he's always been great with the camera. Some of the stuff I wanted to talk about or just mention is like, again, those shots, like from 1917, where we're just like walking through the trenches with the colonel or whoever, you know, the, the guys are just standing there like huddled, just scared to go up as you would be just, we get down there with them um, or at the ball. Like we're just like, it's almost like we're floating with the people as they're dancing mm-hmm. and doing their waltz and stuff. And we're just kind of like in there with them. And then the guys approaching the anthill, like it just these really wide shots, just watching all these people just like charge. And I, I don't know. The, the other one that really stuck out to me is during the, the court scene where Colonel Dax like gets up and we're behind the guys who are mm-hmm. on trial, but we're just like moving with him, you know, as he goes like paces left and right. I'm like, man, this is really cool. The way that I love his camera work. I think, you know, I think it's a no duh statement, you know, but he's always just been really good with this and letting us feel like we're there, like we're observing with them, you know, which, which is, I don't know. You, you could do a static shot. You could just do over the shoulder, but he always has something to do with the camera um, I kind of just want to get your guys thought, your general thoughts on his camera work and like in this, how does this movie tie into the other Kubrick stuff that you've seen? And as our resident Kubrick fan and genius, I'm going to throw it to you, Josh, and just kind of see, like, huh. I, I'm, I'm grateful to hear that you would kind of agree with me. This is like the least Kubrick. And I just kind of wanted to like, yeah. what are your thoughts on that? Like, yeah, just kind of go into that. Um, like I kind of stated up front is, um, 
I think because he was relatively new to doing like feature length films at that time and having a big actor like Kirk Douglas involved. Um, it, I mean, there, there are some things in there that are very Kubrickian. Kubricky. Um, I like Kubrick. You know, definitely when we're going through the trenches and then those over the shoulder shots, like you're talking about. But I, I think as time goes on with his movies, you definitely see a more stylized Kubrick. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, look at anything after, you know, like uh, Clockwork Orange, like you, he has, you know, people doing the Kubrick stare, you know, where they get down mm-hmm. like that and they're. But yeah, this this one definitely is a little more lighter on the Kubrick stylized camera work. Still amazing. And like I said, I, and I think this movie is probably, you know, echoing what we were saying earlier about this being like a very lean movie. This is probably one of his leanest movies mm-hmm. as far as like what's going on. Like there's not like it's it's not very common to see a 90 minute Kubrick film like. Yeah he he really had like builds that suspense like he really leans into that in his later career mm-hmm. how about you matt um yeah i from what i guess taking from what i've seen of kubrick's movies what i what i was able to notice in this one is early early on he makes the camera as big of a star in the movie as you know the biggest stars that he has yeah. like the camera is is important to him is anybody there mm-hmm. and uh there were like fewer shots where i'm like oh that's a kubrick shot but like some of these shots that he's making it's like how many war movies like i'd love to watch the war movies around that time just yeah. to see like what he's bringing to the genre here mm-hmm. in this movie because it feels like just because we've seen his other work like it seems like okay it's safe to say that some of these panning shots and some of these wide shots are like definitely him mm-hmm. um I just I'm not familiar enough with like the industry during that time. Uh but there's that one scene like right before the the soldiers are about to be fired on where it shows like the three posts and he's got it framed perfectly. I'm like, okay, this is a Kubrick shot. Yeah. And then it's got like that sort of procession while where it's panning across and it shows like Kirk Douglas like follow the camera with his eyes. Like Those he's shots just like are so cool. What? So cool. And uh yeah, just just that perspective um, was was nice to pull out from there. Some other things, it, it seems, at least with my experience with Kubrick, that he's big on face acting and mm-hmm. some of those oh, shots yeah. of up close in their face and uh, in a lot of cases, just wild eyes. Like yeah. <laughs> getting these that Kubrick stare, man. Yeah. 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 yeah so um, that that's definitely uh, present here. And then. Uh, this is just, again, something that I've noticed in his movies. I don't know in, in 1957, if this was the case or how much control he had over some of the sets here. Uh, but in, in a lot of the discussions with, uh, the higher ups in the military, they're in like this sort of palace setting Mm. and there's paintings, um, that are, that are in the backdrop of some of these conversations. And I'm not, I'm not an art history whiz. Um, but I would love to identify some of those pieces just to just to see if they provide any context to the conversation that's going mm. on there, because yeah. certainly later in his career, that's something 
Kubrick would have thrown in there. I'm not sure if at this point he would have thrown in, you know, a piece that speaks perfectly to what what the scene is. But uh, I would be very interested in finding out. Yeah, I'm not sure they he might not have had the budget for that. But who knows, man? Like speaking of camera work and budget, like the fact that he was able to do some of the things with the camera that he was able to do. Uh, like when you say floating through the ballroom, like that's a shot that's difficult to do now with electronic gimbals and yeah. tiny mm-hmm. lightweight cameras. I mean, the cameras that he was using and the technology behind it and the way the fact that he was able to get the smooth motion and that floating feel like the camera doesn't the camera feels light. You know what I it mean? Does, the, the, yeah. And the, the when you're floating backwards through the the trenches, like that had to have been so expensive and mm-hmm. cost prohibitive. I mean, just building the trench and having all the extras and having the camera. So it's possible, Matt, that maybe he was able to like put that stuff in because knowing Kubrick again, like with the qualifier as much as I know his work, you know, I haven't seen all of his stuff, uh, but now I have seen some more stuff, uh, thankfully, but you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if he had changed some of the paintings in the backdrop. It's a good, it's a good observation that, that I didn't make. Um, and to me, when you guys said it's the least Kubrick of his films, I don't know if I necessarily, I, I, I can see what you're saying, but I, I'm not sure I totally agree. I think for me, the killing is the least Kubrick of, mm the Kubrick movies. And to be honest, like outside of like Wes Anderson and maybe like a Taika movie, I'm not sure I could look at a movie and say, Oh, this was directed by so-and-so. Right. Um, you know, I'd like to think I would know a Spielberg movie, but to be honest, like a lot of times I think Apollo 13 was a Spielberg movie. You know what (laughs) I mean? And you know, I think Ron Howard probably pulled a lot from Spielberg to make that movie, but what all I'm trying to say is like, I definitely saw the Kubrick in here, but it definitely seemed seemed like an adolescent Kubrick or like a sophomoric yeah. Kubrick. You know what I mean? Like he was sort of finding his way because um, mm. when, when I think of a Kubrick film, I the thing I always think of is uh, the space that the movie lives in and the like the production design and the world building like I'm sure that they didn't go out to a field and build trenches. I'm sure it was plywood (laughs) walls with made to look like trenches. Right. I mean, who knows? Honestly, who knows? But like it, every time you're, you're in a Kubrick film and every set you're in and every world you're in, it feels like you're in that world. Like it feels very lived in. It feels very real when we're in, um, I don't know. I can't remember his name, but Kirk Douglas's, little bunker his little apartment curl dax his little apartment in the bunker like it felt like that guy had been living there for years it felt authentic it felt real and like to me when i think of kubrick that's what i think of like to the space odyssey 2001 you know it's like the that spaceship feels real it's like Mm -hmm. it's both um uh, uh uh sharp and metallic but like dirty and lived in at the same time, you know, like it has that uh, otherworldly, but lived in feel to it. And the shining, like, I know they, I thought they filmed it in the hotel. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I learned to record an episode that they didn't actually film that movie in the overlook hotel or whatever it's called in Colorado. Um, so 
while I can understand why you might why it might not be the most Kubricky of films, uh, to me it's it, it, it's all, it's like the all the foundations are there, right? Yeah. And I I just love the last thing I'll say about his camera work is I mentioned space before, like mm-hmm. he has a way of of like working with the space and making it feel you feel the space that the camera is in. Right. And I, I don't really know a better way to articulate that or to describe it, but like with the, like, uh, uh, it just feels, it just feels authentic and, it, and the world's feel real, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And so I just appreciate his use of space. Like if it's, if it's a tight room, it feels tight. If it's a big room, it feels big. And I mean, obviously just, what we see can inform the way we feel about the space the camera's in, but there's just a way that he can move the camera a lot like Josh was saying. And I think Ben, you mentioned being in the ballroom and, and the pans behind mm-hmm. the people like that gives you a sense of depth and it gives you a sense of place in the scene and it, and it builds that space and that depth. And it's just something that he just obviously has a keen talent for because he's been doing it since he started, you know? So Yeah. And I think that photography goes, background definitely plays a part in for sure what mm-hmm. he was doing visually that whole time. And yeah, you know, when, when you said the killing, I was like, Oh yeah. That, I mean, that's obviously like he, he impacted directors far beyond mm-hmm. with that movie um, up to Tarantino and, you know, anyone that's making a heist movie now mm-hmm. um, the timing, especially, but yeah, I, I think I might agree with you there a little bit, Tyler. Like I, I think that that definitely uh, ranks up there high with what you automatically think for Kubrick. I mean, I, I think a lot of people think of The Shining and sure. Clockwork Orange and uh, and those movies and uh, and just how how stylized those those ones are um, yeah. and the horror that's going on in the storytelling. Yeah. Um, in 2001, same thing. It's like that, that world building that you're talking about. Um, yeah, definitely is, is what comes to mind. I, I feel like when you say this is a Kubrick film, this is what you can expect mm-hmm. most of the time. Right. Yeah. So, I think his, yeah. his use of space was, it's a great point there. And even, you know, during the trial, again, we're behind the people who are, you know, on, on trial he sounds like he's 40 feet away. You know, yeah. like we're, we're not getting like really clear audio. Yes. I protest against being prevented from introducing evidence that I consider vital to the defense. But I think it's great because, again, it makes us feel like we're we're at a distance. And we, when we first meet Colonel Dax in his little bunker thing, I mean, they have to like, I mean, Matt could not stand up in that place like, yeah. <laughs> it's just like so cramped like they have to like kind of bend down as they come in and like it and then he goes to the palace where there's like 30 foot ceilings and just like all this like pomp and all this stuff you know what i mean it's like mm-hmm. man these really just show the two different sides of the war here it's really interesting to use the locations to really influence like what these people are experiencing and the fact that he did it all less than a million dollar budget and 30% of that went to Kirk Douglas. So wow. he really had like a $700,000 budget, you know, for that whole movie, actors, production, all that stuff. And Worth like, it. 
Kirk yeah, was incredible. He didn't, he didn't take a salary. I think he just took like percentage or something, mm. but still, I mean, it's, it's amazing what he did. He was, you know? I saw so like, uh, cause I, you know, I think we'll talk about Kirk later, but he was nominated for a different picture. He was nominated for lust for life in the same, uh, the same oh, really? year. Yeah. At, at least a like, pop song. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, like you said, paths of glory, I, I did look it up. It, it wasn't, nominated for anything but it looks like kirk douglas was in another movie that was nominated oh, okay uh and unless i have the wrong year here um it looks like around the world in 80 days one okay the year that passed well, i only had like out. six actors back then so yeah, right that's true yeah <laughs> yeah he was up i mean he was up against some good he was up against james dean and rock mm. hudson Lawrence olivier uh, as far as actors are concerned you know this you know it's not like it seems like at least you know it it didn't go to like some unworthy as TLC would say, there's no scrubs. That's right. But it is, it is strange because you know, maybe it's just the way that I look at old movies, right? Like uh, it just, it, in my ignorance, it feels like they're, they don't deal with as much weighty subject matter. It, it yeah. just feels like they were simple stories told with simple technology, which I'm learning is, and I've always sort of known wasn't the case. But it's just interesting that a movie like this that's dealing with the things that it's dealing with and the time that it was dealing with it, it's like how it maybe that's why it didn't get nominated. I don't know. Maybe yeah. it was a little bit too much, but that's that's a sidebar that I didn't anticipate. But I just, no, again, and like I'm, I'm curious how much of an influence of it not being an American war, you know, mm. played, you know, like it's yeah. just like it's not home turf. Like so it's like French. Oh, we don't care. And honestly, I don't think I picked up on that the first time I watched it. I think I assumed that it was like americans helping yeah. out the french and then watching sure. this time i was like wait kirk douglas is supposed to be french in this? Like, you me. Like, i was just getting lost in his like chin dimple but i was just like this dude is not french at all no <laughs> that way. douglas gene is strong my man man no kidding <laughs> I, I hope we get around to the game at some point i don't know yeah, if any of you guys have seen show. it but man it's yep. so good um the next thing and you know i i wanted to tie this in you know i know we don't talk about tv but if there's one show that gets mentioned on here, it's the wire. So I wanted to like throw something here to Tyler that David mm. Simon, who created the wire has said that paths of glory really kind of influenced how he tells the story because, you know, when you break it down, paths of glory is the, it's about the middleman. It's about like the chain of command here and, you know, who you need to look at for the results of things, you know, is it the people actually doing it or is it the people asking them to do it? Like who's responsible for this kind of stuff with everything I've done. My heart is really with either middle management or labor, but I'm always attending to how power routes itself through systems. And so I, I took that to heart. I was trying to structure a television show on HBO called The Wire. I remember rewatching it, you know, with a notepad in front of me and saying, you know, how did he do this? And, you know, what are, what are the elements here that I'm trying to capture? Um, I thought that was like a really interesting dynamic to bring up because I feel like normally, you know, like, saving private Ryan. We're just with the troops who are like walking through, like yeah. normally we're with the soldiers. That's kind of it, you know, for the most part. But I think this one made a really, uh, obviously specific choice and it was based on a novel and everything, but like we, our protagonist is a middleman, you know, he has someone to answer to, but he also has people answering to him and it's his conscience and it's his like morality. That's really what drives the whole movie here. It's the whole reason he wants to defend these people on trial 
which by the way is like the most frustrating scene in the world to me yeah like, he kept getting shot down like <laughs> can i present some facts nope it's like nope. okay well can you at least tell us what we're charged for nope <laughs> it's like that's not gonna matter it's like are you kidding oh like even having seen it before and knowing this is like 60 plus years old it's just like i'm so mad it's like dude just let him let him give his presentation <laughs> here it's so frustrating but the court's permission i'll read citations for bravery that he's already earned on two occasions first citations in the orders in the army for bravery That's immaterial colonel the accused is not being tried for his former bravery but for his recent cowardice medals are no defense May I call witnesses to his character? You may not. Um, I just kind of wanted to talk. We, we we talked about it a little bit already, but I just want to go over, I guess, how they portray the humanity or lack thereof of our characters in this movie. You know, again, with these people who are just like, oh, three guys are going to die tomorrow. Let's have a formal ball and just like do the waltz and hang out, you know, and then we won. These, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, oh, we were right. We knew it the whole time, you know. And these soldiers who were just like shell shocked and just like staying down in the trenches because they're just going up to certain death, just such polar opposites. So I, I don't know. It's a very vague general question, but I just kind of wanted to talk about how that got presented here, because for the most part, we're with the soldiers. But this time we're not really with them very much at all. It's like we're kind of with like the middleman here and how he has to, you know, pr- not play both sides, but be involved with both sides. So, Josh, what what are your thoughts on my really awkwardly phrased question <laughs> i'm not familiar with the wire i haven't really watched it oh, um so need to rectify that mistake <laughs> i know um it is a time commitment but i think it's worth it yeah i've been looking for a new series so you that'll found probably it. be the one yeah i've heard lots of good things about it it's just i'm hard to get into series like it took me a really long time to even get into breaking bad yeah. eventually i did it and it's a fucking great show. Like it's one of my favorite shows of all time. It's just gritty enough for me and has enough humor and drama. Yeah. So yeah, that'll be on my list of series to watch. Well, you should, you should put it on there. Um, this is a really good, uh, like, I, I don't know. It's a really great question, Ben. And it's it's I I hadn't read that quote and you know I'm on record of loving the wire I mm-hmm. I'm still on my rewatch I have like four episodes left something just happened that uh so I I don't want to spoil it for anyone but it makes me not want to keep watching because mm-hmm. it's just you know something happens that it, it whatever it doesn't matter um michael scott left yeah <laughs> michael scott left so it's kind of like what's the point you know i'm done um but still a good show without michael scott but i love after it, yeah. michael scott why why do it anyway? ben and i like, argue all the time about james spader's place in office yes. lore you don't even know my real name i'm the lizard gang but anyways it, i mean it's it's a really good comparison and obviously it influenced the wire so of course it's a good comparison, but because that's what, that's what the wire is all about. And specifically about the parallels between uh, what's going on in the streets and what's going on on Capitol Hill mm-hmm. and all the, the dynamics behind it. And um, it, it's, it, it feels weird to not really have too much to say about it because it's sort of just like, yeah, that makes sense. You know? Yeah. And, I, and what, I, not yeah. that it's not a bad question, but it's just like, not good. 
Well, no, that's not, I just, I just don't know where to, I don't know where to place my thoughts, you know, because the, to me, that was the theme of this movie, right? Like the difference between the haves and the have nots. Yes. And so we are following the haves, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I said earlier that Kirk Douglas is the only person in power with a conscience, which I do think is true. But at the same time, he knew that most of his men were going to die taking mm-hmm. this hill. It's just that I th- think. And he could still tell people that they could go to hell and he wouldn't apologize for it. Right. Now or ever again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like. And still keep his job. Yeah. He. he like what happened to him at he, the end? Yeah. I mean, probably nothing, you know? Yeah. Uh, because just what middle management, what happens to most middle management? Yeah. In the end, he's serving the purpose of the higher ups and he has more power than the people below him. So despite that, he might be the most moral of the people in power that we see, like he's not without his, his demons and he's not without his, his, his guilt, I guess, you know, Mm -hmm. because like I said, he knew that these guys were never going to take the anthill. Uh, I will say he led the charge. I, I was actually surprised. I didn't expect that. The fact yeah. that he was charging with a pistol and a whistle and <laughs> in front of the line, like, you know, he's got courage, he's brave. Uh, and he seems to be, despite the fact that he was willing to throw his men that he seems to, he truly does seem to care about. He was willing to throw them into the meat grinder and whatever to appease the higher ups. Yeah. But at the same time, he was out there with them. And, you know, that's uh, it's 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 a it's an interesting thing to to grapple with because he he's like literally right on the fence there. He, he he's, yeah. he's walking the tightrope, whereas the people at the fancy ball after the battle that they, they have no connection to it. And he is the he is the connection between the two worlds. And um yeah, I felt like he was there and he was, you know, expecting backup. And that's when it kind of all went to shit for him. He's like, well, I mean, I sent my guys out there because I thought we were going to have more people. Yeah. And I, you know, it feels like the people that are at the ball, like the higher ups, maybe they like maybe their conscience has just changed over time. You know, it's just like, well, someone's got to take the fall. Like, it's not going to be us, but we have to answer, you know, to the public. You know, it's just like, well, I don't know. Their skew on what justices may have changed. Ma'am, I'm kind of curious on on your thoughts on this. Uh, well, again, I haven't I haven't seen the wire either. But when it comes to, I guess, talking about middle management and like the detachment of the higher ups, and you apologize and you don't apologize for it, <laughs> and I don't apologize. <laughs> <The hell>? yeah. <laughs> that's right. Um, and nothing's gonna happen to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think this this movie makes you look at sort of the the roles that military has. And this isn't like, like, yeah, that the higher ups in this movie are, are bad guys. Mm -hmm. Uh, But these are decisions that I imagine have to be made, you know, and war is different today. So I don't really know. I'm, I'm not from the military. I don't know what goes into some of these decisions, but when it comes to strategy and it comes to, you know, winning, winning certain battles or, taking over certain turf like obviously you're dealing with lives to some extent Mm. and there's no there's no like easy way around that but 
So, so the way the Ender's Game kind of handled a similar situation was in the book. I know we're not supposed to talk about books. Um, yeah, we're talking Ender's about TV. Game, TV. So. <laughs> the, the movie, the movie the Ender's Harrison Game. Ford movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, they basically gaslight their you know young army into believing that they're playing a video game, and mm-hmm. so they're will these kids are willing to sacrifice insurmountable amount of you know reinforcements and troops to get the to get the job done and they don't have to think about it they don't have to feel any of the guilt or or anything about these people dying it isn't until the end of the book that you know the the veil's been lifted and and you find out that these were actual people that you know went and died even the sacrificed ones like they had no choice of the matter and so it's like at the end of the day like yeah they they win the war um but at what cost and who sacrificed their lives unwillingly. Um, anyways, it, this, this idea of the, the separation of humanity kind of brings that like to, to the higher ups, like these are just units. These aren't people. Mm-hmm. These are a means to get the job Chess done. Pieces. Yeah. Right. Chess pieces. Essentially. And then, then when you bring the it game, back man. down to, you bring it back down to the soldier level. Uh, it's interesting that we, we got to watch, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We're not supposed to talk about TV. Here we go again. Uh, but, all the rules. but the John Walker character. Yeah, we make him, we break him. <laughs> uh, the John Walker character kind of is the embodiment of of the the patriotic question that this movie poses about yeah. what 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 is patriotism and is is patriotism always the morally right thing to do? Yeah. Kirk Douglas is definitely like more of the Steve Rogers where Steve Rogers would have been become a, a war criminal to do the <laughs> and stay doing the right thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Then become a human criminal by, you know, massacring anybody. Yeah. Whereas John Walker kind of fit the program and would do what is he's asked to do for what he perceives as the good of the country or the good of, you know, whatever flag he's flying. And and it in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, he basically says that like after he's being like disciplined for, he's like, "What are you disciplining me for? I'm doing exactly what you guys want me to do. Like, you programmed me to do this." And we see that yes. in in this movie, like they are programming people to do that. They're programming people to follow orders, no questions asked, fire on our own guys if you have to. Um, we have to do this to to get the job done. And so, I thought that was an interesting thing to see in 1957 sort of similar themes coming up today but yeah that's those are essentially my thoughts yeah and you know you know like some of the the um the positive things that i think to to take away and uh, with uh war movies and not to turn it into like falcon and the winter soldier podcast but <laughs> i i would argue that old johnny walker was just looking for some brotherhood and if they would have teamed up with the falcon and and the Winter Soldier, if they would have, you know, adopted him and said, let's be brothers in this in arms and take care of this situation. Let's let's coalesce and, and have a discussion about what the right thing to do is here and let's get together and do it. I feel like if they would have been more willing to to accept it a little bit more then maybe, you know, that massacre with the shield wouldn't happen. You know, you wouldn't have the super bloody shield maybe maybe i'm wrong but i feel like the i mean even like with fight club like tyler durden's talking about how 
you know, we're looking for that great war that we never have as, as men, you know, we're, we're looking yeah. for this thing. The middle children of history, man, no purpose or place. We have no great war, no great depression. Our great war is a spiritual war. Our great depression is our lives. And I would argue it's just, it's brotherhood, it's friendship, it's that closeness with people that, that uh, is the positive thing that we're all kind of looking for. Now, let's have a group hug. <laughs> I wish. Yeah, it'd be interesting, you know, if, if Walker hadn't come in as Captain America, just as someone else, I think they would have been more receptive yeah. to that, but... That's a that's a whole other topic for maybe not. Yeah, I was gonna say we could this could easily tangent into its own little (laughs) pod uh, because we'll we'll say we'll we'll save the discussion. Yeah, war's ugly as hell. It's it's people dying. It's a lot of innocent people dying. Yeah, and 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 people that have volunteered to to go and do what you know do what their general says or do what well. And the important but the important thing is is like you know the people like true like the true patriots that join the military for the reasons that you're supposed to join the military to like defend your country. They do it on the faith that like the decisions are being made in the interests of the country, the decisions made that we see in this film only benefit the higher ups and yeah. to mm-hmm. uh, benefit their standing to the country. Mm-hmm. Like taking the anthill had nothing to do with like the, the safety of France or the, Oh no. Oh, you know what I mean? Like it only, it was only going to ever be a moral victory for the, for the higher ups, no matter what happened. What sort of casualties do you anticipate, sir? Mm, Say 5% killed by our own barrage. That's a very generous allowance. 10% more getting through no man's land and 20% more getting through the wire. That leaves 65% with the worst part of the job over. Let's say another 25% in actually taking the anthill. We're still left with a force more than adequate to hold it. General, you're saying that more than half my men will be killed. Yes, it's a terrible price to pay, Colonel. But we will have the anthill. But will we, sir? I'm depending on you, Colonel. All France is depending on you. Because if they're successful in taking and holding the anthill, great, they win. And it's 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 another proud thing to hold as a French mm-hmm. person. Uh, and if they don't take it and it goes the way that we see it go, despite the terrible decision-making and, and, and the lies and the, and the broken promises of backup and all this stuff and the betrayal of firing on his own troops, despite, you know, they're, they're, they're going to lose, you know, like it's a, it's a, it's a true betrayal of, of the actual reason that the people that are in this, in these trenches, uh, ostensibly the reason they joined the army in the first place. Exactly. And, and, and like it's, it was shocking. I guess not shocking. It's more disheartening because, you know, like not to get too political, but Ben, you mentioned we've been in this war since of that happened or that started on nine 11 for 20 years now. And it's, it's a war that it can't end because we're, we're fighting something that's, that that's a, it's a, we're fighting a concept, right? It's a war on yeah. terror. So like yeah. it's, it's this, it's the same shit is just happening. Right. And it's like to go back to a movie that was 
based in the 19 early 1900s and released in the 1950s like we've been having this discussion for a long time yeah you know and it's just i'm i'm definitely going on a rant here and i'm rambling without um an, an <laughs> end game here but it's just i, I don't know man like it, it was just it's just uh it's just a bummer and it's shocking to see and it's just it, it's it's I'm just glad that people at, at the very least we have people starting these discussions, right? Because for sure we, it could, we're, we're lucky to live in a, in a society in which a movie like this could be made because it could easily have been uh, squashed. It could easily have been shelved or the story could not be told. Right. Mm-hmm. And it like, actually was shelved in France. Was, yeah. yeah. And that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. That's, yeah. And in like Spain or something like that too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's and that's that's the hard part because the reason that gosh, I'm I'm getting all fired up and political here, but the reason that we have the ability to tell stories like this is because of stories like this. And yeah. because of people that went out there and fought for things that were that we that they believed were necessary and 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 fight for things that they believed that we all deserve, right? Like the fact that we have the first amendment is because of things like this happening, you know, yeah. <laughs> it just so happened that we were able to take the anthill and become the United States of America and have the things we have. And we are not without our problems, which we have seen over the past few years. And again, this is not a political podcast, but it's, it's movies like this. And and I said, that I don't know how many times I'll watch this movie again, but I'm so glad I watched it because it starts a conversation like this. And it makes you think about this kind of stuff. And I think we, we talked about how much we as a society love war movies. And I talked about, we all talked about the reasons why. And it's, it's to me, it's sort of this like cyclical chicken and egg thing. Like we, we love war because we owe everything we have to conflict. But we also yeah. hate war because our lives is nothing. Our lives are nothing but conflict, and so it's like that's why we can see ourselves so much in stories like this because you know it's just unfortunately that's what life is, and the fact that we have the lives we have and the uh, freedoms that we have is because of war. And yeah. I don't know. That was a rant and a soapbox. I'm very sorry to all the <laughs> listeners, but I, you got me going. <laughs> no, I think it's good too. Like one of the things on here is like where the movie title comes from. It's, you know, from this author, Thomas Gray's elegy written in a country churchyard, but it says the paths of glory lead, but to the grave. Mm. And I think that just like totally makes sense here. And, you know, to tie it again to what we've been talking about with Falcon winter soldiers. Like I think both of these movies just really, or, you know, whatever, both of these um, things really kind of show how easily the higher ups are willing to just like disregard the people below them. If it makes them look good, like it's just so easy to be like, Oh, let's just put it on these guys and we'll still look okay. And that happens at all the different levels. The Lieutenant tried to do that, you know, and the three of them go on their night mission and right. ends up killing the other guy. And he's already filling out. Their like, well, they're both dead. It's like, no, they're not both dead. Like, <laughs> right. you're just like, I just have to look good here, you know? And I don't know. It's I'm, I'm glad the we like to think that all of our, we like to think that our generals and our military are all Kirk Douglas. <laughs> yes. And that's unfortunately not the case. Fortunately, yes. I think there has been enough, Kirk Douglas's and Colonel Dax's in our history to like, you know, make it all worthwhile 
I guess. <laughs> you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's hope. hard to say that anything, any war was worthwhile, but yeah. Yeah. Who knows if you can actually quantify either of those things. It's, yeah. yeah. It's just crazy. I mean, I, I feel fortunate for the lives that we have and, you know, um, but I mean, war will always be an ugly thing yeah. and maybe in some cases a necessary thing. But I think before going that route, having a conversation like this is should be essential. And For I don't sure. think, and a lot of times I don't feel like it, it is being had. Yeah. And that's, right. that's the frustrating thing to me personally. Right. And what's the, I'm going to show my ignorance here, but what's the saying is like, uh, history is written by the victors or whatever. You yeah. Know? So like mm-hmm. all those, the people that won the war is like, Oh, we were the good guys. It's like, I don't know. You won. I don't know yeah. if you're the good guys. Like, but you won, but and there's that Bob Dylan song, like God on our side, right? The whole song is about every, both sides of the war believe that God is on their side. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's, and that's the truth. But you know, whoever ends up winning, it turns out God was on their side. <laughs> yes, exactly. You're right. <laughs> and there are no winners. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, well, I want to go over some of our personal winners here. It's been a while since we've had a, a Rushmore on the pod and I've missed it. So I wanted to do one. Um, I was reading Roger Ebert's review of Paths of Glory and he interviewed Kirk Douglas in 1969 and Douglas, you know, felt that he said that he was at like the, the summit, like the peak of his acting career during this movie. And he's quoted as saying, there's a picture that will always be good years from now. I don't have to wait 50 years to know that. I know it now. I'm like, man, that's super cool to have that confidence in this movie. And I, I think he's 100% correct, you know, for the record. Like, I'm on board with that. But how refreshing and just, like, amazing must that be as an actor to know, like, I was part of something yeah. that I will be proud of forever. Like, that's it's going to be a good movie as long as I live and even after that. And I, I couldn't agree more with Kirk Douglas on that. Um, but that I wanted to, like, lead into our personal, like, war movie Rushmore Mountains. I want to know what some of our favorites are. Josh, I want to kick it to you to know like what what four war movies make you rush more. These are OR scrubs. Oh, are they? Um, this is hard. I mean, there there are a lot of those that I enjoy, and it's it's weird to say like, um, what war like like what you were saying, Matt, like. I don't know if I necessarily love war movies. Like, yeah, it's like, that's, that's a hard question. Like the movies I love, you know, but it's like, you know, like we were just talking about war is an ugly thing. Um, but I would, I would have to say, um, I, one of my tops is apocalypse now. Mm-hmm. And in, in a lot of ways, like it, it asks some of these similar questions. Yeah, it does. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, just a masterpiece and and quite psychedelic without resorting to like um, different techniques that we have now. Mm-hmm. Um, just that journey down the river and all the drama that they they made that movie in a mini war itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, I've got another uh, Kubrick film on my list, uh, Doctor Strangelove. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Nice. It's one of my favorite war movies. Again, come coming come with the heavy questions. <laughs> yeah, I still the need Austin to see that. Peter Sellers. Oh so man, good. you'll love it. You'll love I, it. You'll see it early, you know, James Earl Jones. 
I try to um, save some movies that I know we'll talk about later <laughs> on the pod yeah. for the pod, but I think that one yeah. might be one that sneaks into my eyeballs before <laughs> we can talk yeah, about so it on good. a pod. <laughs> I mean, you get to see Peter Sellers play three different characters. You get, you know, Sterling Hayden again. You get, mm-hmm. um, you know, just uh, Slim Pickens. Yeah. Uh, just a bunch of great acting and comedic acting there. Um, and actually there, there's, there's, it seems like a lot of Kubrick shots were taken a lot in later movies. You know, we were talking about the trenches and stuff. Um, but Dr. Strangelove, like I saw a lot of, um, shots that, that, uh, were used kind of in private, saving private Ryan too. Mm. Um, so, I mean, just that as a whole, I really like, um, these these next two are tough uh <laughs> i would because I, I i was gonna say full metal jacket but i don't know it's that in between that and inglorious bastards um so i guess i'll say inglorious bastards each and every man under my command owes me 100 nazi scalps and i want my scalps and all y'all will get me 100 nazi scalps taken from the heads of 100 dead nazis or you will die trying. Nice. Um, and then I'll say uh, Jojo Rabbit. Nice. For my, That's beautiful. Uh, get get my Taika YTT in there. there. Go. Gotta do it. Yeah. I love it. I, when I put together my list, <clears throat> I wish I had thought of Jojo Rabbit. Uh, I guess like I just didn't think of that as a war movie. But it, I mean, it totally is. I guess I just thought of it as more of a Taika movie, <laughs> if yeah. anything. You know what I mean? Uh, but that's a great pick. Um, I'll leave it off my list because I want to be genuine with the things I thought about. Uh, the first the first movie I thought of was Tropic Thunder. God damn it. We lost. We fucking super lost, man. Tell him, McCluskey. Tell him what time it is. I believe you people. Huh. What do you mean, you people? What do you mean, you people? Huh? Like if I'm gonna watch, oh, yeah. <laughs> if I'm gonna watch a movie about war, uh, that's probably the first one I would put on. Because, you know, I don't think, I don't think any of us here are like necessarily war movie buffs. You know what I mean? I, I certainly yeah. have enjoyed. It's some. for Tom Cruise mainly, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and then next up would be Inglorious Bastards. Um, if honestly, just the first what 10 15 minutes or whatever with where we oh, meet yeah. in in the hey it's a french guy it ties into mm-hmm. the episode um we meet hans landa and you know uh the whole amazing rat, the rats beneath the floor thing um and then the next movie i thought of was the the pianist um oh, yeah. i've only seen that once uh <clears throat> but it really uh stuck with me and I've, i haven't watched it since but it's one when i see it i'm like oh yeah I should watch that, but I just don't want to right now. So mm-hmm. um, I'll, I'll take the pianist. And then the fourth um, is a movie that we've talked about on this podcast. And I discovered with this podcast, uh, Dunkirk, nice. Chris Nolan. Uh, and, you know, with every Rushmore mountain, this is like with the, with the, um, the qualifier that, you know, of movies that I've seen, these are mm-hmm. my four favorite rush or, uh, or the, I guess I should say that the first four that popped in my head, that's always how I make these lists uh, yeah. because I thought about apocalypse now and platoon, but if I'm being genuine, these are the first ones that popped in my head. So uh, I'll go with those four tropic thunder and glorious bastards, 
the pianist and Dunkirk. Cool. Matthew. Um, well, the time kick, is yours. Got to kick mine off with saving private Ryan. Yep. Um, you know, not much, not much, not much else to say there. I do just want the to... one clip where Matt Damon ages, right? It's just that <laughs> yeah. that's all you want. It's like, oh, getting old. It was hard not to compare uh, the opening sequence of Saving Private Ryan, the storming of uh, oh man, uh, D Day, and the storming of Normandy, no, no, the beaches of Normandy, uh, and then the taking of Ant Hill, and mm-hmm. it made me really think why Saving Private Ryan was so traumatic for a lot of uh, soldiers because there's a st- The scenes are essentially the exact same, right? It's men just running towards their death, but the difference in reality and realism and production value is so different. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, it, it, It was, I was like, okay, I always knew why it was traumatic, but I just, it never really occurred to me that this was the first, like we've seen this scene before, I guess is what I'm saying. But Saving Private Ryan was the first time where it was like, oh, shit, like this looks and feels real because we see people get gunned down, chase or storming Ant Hill. But, they, you know, they just fought. They get gunned down. They just fall over. Right. Or like a bomb explodes near them and they just they're just dead. But like with Saving Wilhelm Private Ryan. Yeah. We, <laughs> did we you get actually Wilhelm, did we get one? The Wilhelm scream? I don't think so. Oh, gosh, I wish. <laughs> but yeah, Saving Private Ryan, that's a good point. Like, you feel the artillery. You feel like you're there. And I, like, it's, it's, I mean, just that opening sequence alone is worthy of a Rushmore. And I didn't mean to cut you off, Matt, but I just wanted to uh, bring that up. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it is interesting to compare them. Um, yeah, Saving Private Ryan just seems to be like the quintessential war movie for whatever yeah. reason in my mind. Like, it's always the first one that comes up in my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, my second one would be Rogue One, um, Star Wars. Got to have a Star oh, Wars yeah. movie in there. Love it. Um, that's oh, yeah. the, that's like the main Star Wars movie outside of the space uh, fighting. That it feels like an actual war, like the, yeah. Yeah. the beach and stuff. And it was close between this and Attack of the Clones. You know, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, we have a true. guest coin flip here. True. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, true. <laughs> um, Jasper decided. to he wanted to come over and talk about Rogue One. He heard oh, that. Right. Up, Doug? <laughs> so his first appearance on the pod. All right. Nice. He's going to be hanging out with us the rest of the time. <laughs> awesome. Anyway, um, sorry. And then this last year I saw, I watched the five bloods. Yeah. Um, it was good. It was a, That's it was a, a view one. of the Vietnam war that I hadn't really seen before. And so it was cool. I still to need to see that. Check that out. Chadwick, you know, being Chadwick, yeah. really great role for him. Um, super cool. Super interesting story. I don't know if there's another war movie where I can think where everybody knows a character's name from it, and that's Forrest Gump. Everybody mm. knows Lieutenant Dan. Oh, yeah. Lieutenant Dan. I got you some ice cream. Lieutenant Dan, ice cream. That's a good point. Yep. Is it a is it a war movie? I'm not going to take it from you. If, if you view Lieutenant it as a war Dan. movie... Name a character a, from another yeah, war movie that everybody knows. That is true. I mean, that's a good people. point. Like, when you think, uh, like, yeah, I, I don't know if it's a war movie, but the war stuff in Forrest Gump is so prevalent that I think it is worthy of, of being on a Rushmore. I just I just wouldn't have thought. I just never would have thought of it. And I guess it's one if, of my favorite things. If you take the things. war out, do you have the same movie? Well, no. <laughs> you don't have yeah, Baba. Yeah, Forrest Gump is in chapters. Yeah. 
Yeah, Forrest Gump is many movies. I just one. like yeah, I, it's true. one of my favorite things about doing this podcast. Uh, I guess even controversy. Specific, well, not even controversy, <laughs> but just you know the different the diff the way the different way we look at stuff. And I just always oh, yeah. I just always appreciate Matt's uh, perspective on things because I never would have thought of Forrest Gump as a war movie. And I don't even know if I still do, but I totally you're right. Like that's probably the most important story in the movie. It's the most mm-hmm. formative for Forrest. I think, you know, all the time he spends in the war and the, the relationship he forms with Lieutenant Dan. So yeah, no, it's, I just, yeah, it's just, I love, I love the way Matt's brain works. And I, yeah, despite the fact that <laughs> I constantly interrupt him. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'm excited what you have to say about my pick. Cause uh, the first one I thought of too was Inglorious Bastards. I still to this day think it's Tarantino's best movie, like front to back. I think it's like the, the best thing he's done. I love Inglorious Bastards. Um, I'll throw Paths of Glory on there because that was, I mean, it's the reason I picked this. I still think it's just one of the the better war movies that has existed. Yeah. Uh, I'm going back and forth between two, and since Josh said one, I'll say the other. Um, I'll go with Platoon. Um. Tyler, I think you and I watched this when we were doing our version of this years ago. Yeah. Uh, we watched Platoon because I just remember some of those scenes were just like, man, the camera work in that movie was fantastic. The other one I was going between is Apocalypse Now, which is obviously it's a classic, but um, I'll go with Platoon. And then, yeah, my fourth pick is going to be one of my favorite movies of all time, which is Casablanca. Mm. It's not oh, yeah. a war movie necessarily, but the whole movie takes place during and because of a war like like i mean i think the way matt put it is great it's like if you take the war out of it is it the same movie no like there's no drama there's no controversy there's no nothing you know it's like the the whole movie is revolving around a war so i'm going to sneak that in as my fourth pick as a war movie so um i think we covered some really great movies though i think that was that was awesome um is there anything else you guys want to talk about that we somehow haven't on basil gloria i i think like i definitely i don't know if we need to like talk about it but we just need to mention the en- the way this movie ends the actual ending the last scene that we see oh, you know yeah I, no, I, like a- i think despite everything that we said about this movie and, and 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 the fact i really enjoyed it before the way this movie ends but i think it was when I really think about it, it was the best thing in this movie, despite like how truly difficult it was to watch, you know, Uh, for the listeners, if you haven't seen this movie, uh, obviously we're about to spoil the ending. Uh, It doesn't really necessarily change what happens, but it definitely, uh, I don't know. It was just, it was very impactful. And I just like, it's what sticks with me the most besides Kirk Douglas and his beautiful chin dimple. (laughs) <laughs> uh just well, just the way that it the, the just I don't, I don't know it, it was just it was just a beautiful it's it's weird to call it beautiful because you know we're talking about uh the misogyny of of th- these soldiers and the uh overly uh macho and testosterone fueled way in which they treat this woman who's clearly being trafficked <laughs> you know like she's uh she is a, a prisoner that of was war. actually kubrick's wife too was it really mm-hmm. yeah. yeah he married one, her one of his wives this. wow yeah but it was just despite all 
like you know so so what it is is they're the, the men are all at a bar sort of getting their one day of rest or whatever it is and they put this poor german woman who's clearly a prisoner of war been you know taken captive and she sings a song to the soldiers who are cat calling her and as she sings it's sort of like you can see it in their faces and you can see it like it just like they all sort of realize like oh what the f- what are we doing <laughs> you know what i mean it just like i guess to me it just like drove the nail home of like like what i just said like what are we doing with it like what is war good for? You know what yeah. I mean? Like that's why she was actually singing in German. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really drove home the humanity of these people. You know, they right. go from being like animals and just like catcalling and whistling, like "Oh, girl, oh my god!" Like they're just like freaking out. To suddenly, it's like, "Oh, wait, I kind of recognize this," and they all just like none of them know the words because in German, but they must recognize it just from hearing, and they're all just like humming along. Yeah. And it's actually that scene that made me think of Casablanca because that's mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg's favorite scene of all time is in Casablanca when the two like groups of the the military guys are battling back and forth singing their national anthems. Mm-hmm. You know, that's his favorite scene of all time. And I got thinking about that watching the end of this. I'm like, oh, it's kind of interesting. The humanity or like the connection we make with people when they're able to like tap into, I don't know, just who they are and why they're doing what they're doing. I think that's what we got to see here. And then like you said, like the ending after that, where it's just like, we have to go to the front front of the line now. It's like, just give them a couple more minutes. Like, let them enjoy this. Because unfortunately for some of these people, this is the last right. moments they're going to have. You know, it's so like, let, let's just let them have this. And I think it was a, it was a powerful ending. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because it was some, definitely something I wanted to, to talk about. I think it, it ended really well. It was a great note. And it goes back to the, the duality of the Colonel Dax character of like, wanting to do what's right, but also knowing like what's inevitable and what he has to do. So, yeah. um, Josh, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate it. I know you've got the, this will come out much after we got the May the 4th, um, gallery going on right now, but you want to tell people where they can find you to look to, you know, get some of your art or anything like that. Do you want to throw out your plug? Yeah. So just the Instagram account as of now, jlj art works w-o-r-x you can find me online there send me a dm if you want a painting or a print yeah um yeah proud owner of one of those highly recommend it yeah um yeah and we'll make sure we get all the the links and stuff put in here matt tyler thank you for joining once again um this was super fun i'm glad we all had a good experience with this movie I'm excited next week. We're continuing Kubrick. We're wrapping it up with Barry Lyndon, which I believe is new to all three of us. So mm-hmm. this would be yeah. the first Kubrick movie that none of us have seen before. So and I think it's be... one speaking personally that I don't think I would have ever watched naturally. I think I would have watched strange love and clockwork orange and all these things, but I probably wouldn't it, anyways. Sorry, I'm Tyler. excited. I'm very excited. <laughs> no, I'm no <laughs> Matt. I already told you, I love your perspective and I love your influence on this podcast. And I'm very excited. <laughs> that you picked this because I don't, I really don't think I would have watched it and I can already, I already know I'm going to enjoy it. So <laughs> yeah, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. We, At least we we'll enjoy know. discussing it. Yeah, for yes, sure. It's going to be good. And yeah. I'll enjoy hearing it. <laughs> You'll enjoy us <laughs> well, hopefully so it. do our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, thank you everyone for listening and following along with us. Again, you can find all of our stuff at our website, threefilmspod.com. 
um, all of our socials on there, the Patreon, all that kind of stuff. We'll have more things coming up. We had an in-person patron watch party a little while ago, which was an absolute blast. So I'm sure we'll be doing more of those in the future. But um, yeah, thanks again, everyone, for your support. If you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, that's like the number one thing you could do for us to help other people that like movie podcasts help them find us. You know, that'd be that'd be the biggest thing you could do for us. So thank you again. Buy the gear. Buy the, Buy the gear. gear. Yes. Look at that shirt. Look at that patron shirt. I love it. So great. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. Look forward to hearing from you, and we will see you guys next week. See ya. Thanks for having me on again, guys. Of course. Like I was saying, shrimp is the fruit of the sea. You can barbecue it, boil it, broil it, bake it, saute it. There's um, shrimp kebabs, shrimp creole, shrimp gumbo, pan fried, deep fried, stir fried. There's pineapple shrimp, lemon shrimp, coconut shrimp, pepper shrimp, shrimp soup, shrimp stew, shrimp salad, shrimp and potatoes, shrimp 